This morning we open our Bibles to Psalm 90, verse 2, the saying verse that you just sang together. We'll look at a few other verses uh, in consideration and application, but mostly uh, we'll be thinking about verse 2 and spending our time focusing on the doctrine of the eternality of God. And so we turn to Psalm 90, verse 2. Hear now the word of the Lord. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. As that is brief, let me read it for us one more time. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Well, uh, it's been a couple of weeks. Thank you for your flexibility last week visiting like-minded churches as we were out of town for Presbytery and other things. Blessing to be back with you together this morning on the Lord's Day. Uh, in case you might forget, I want to recall that uh, last time we studied in the morning the glory of God, uh, and then we studied in the evening the infinity of God, as we were looking at the attributes of God. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism number four, what is God? God is a spirit infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And as we were looking at this, you recall that from Robert Raymond's uh, new systematic theology, uh, he talked about how really the summary of all of the answer is glory. God is glory. And Deuteronomy 28, 58 spoke of that saying, this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. Then in the evening, we marveled over God as infinite. We studied the infinitude of God, that God is infinitely all his attributes. We looked at Job 11 verses 7 to 9. God and his plan, purpose, and providence are infinitely beyond our ability to search out and exhaustively or comprehensively take in. God is incomprehensible. That is, he is beyond our finite capacity to fully understand him, even with what he has revealed about himself in creation and scripture. We can't fully understand and appreciate it all in. We, we can begin to, but there's no end to God. He is infinite. That is, he is unbounded. He is unlimited. He is absolute. He is perfect. Next, we look at the application of God's infinity to time. Herman Bovink pointed out that the infinite aspect of God as related to time is his eternality. So we study today what the, the catechism says. Second of all, God is eternal in all his attributes. What's different about God, remember, and us with these attributes that are listed and others that could be, is that he is infinitely so. He is eternally so. He is unchangeably so. And we'll study that he is unchangeable this evening. And I, I think it'll be a special blessing for you. But we study today, he is eternally so. He has no end, that is. He has no beginning. Now, if you pause and think about that, that'll make your mind explode. How can we fully appreciate that? We can't. But may we 
deep, more deeply appreciate and be blessed by it. You think about this. I think we still do this as adults, but children are more uh, verbal and vulnerable about these things. And I, I can remember doing this once. I was in the backyard of my folks' house, uh, maybe a maybe early teenager, I think, and some of my friends were there. And we didn't do this much, but we happened to be talking about God. And we just kept thinking about, okay, God made all these things, but who made God? It's an innocent question grappling with it. And I know some of my children have asked that of me, but who made God? And you see, we have this, we have this instinctive sense that everything and everyone has a beginning. And that's appropriate and it points us to God who is the one who made everything at the beginning. But here's the answer. And children, if you've asked this answer, I have a very clear answer for you. Who made God? The answer is no one. Not even God himself. Unlike his creation, even with its own impressive ancient character, God's existence is eternal. It never began, let alone it will never end. He is God. He is God alone. He has no beginning, and thus he has no end. And I give you that as the main idea of our text today. Unlike his creation, even with its own impressive ancient character, God's existence is eternal. He has no beginning, and thus no end. That isn't going to make you and I, children, continue to be, we can't imagine eternity. We can't fully grasp eternity. Get over it. You won't. But you can marvel in it and worship him in the mystery of God as eternal. He has no beginning. He always is. To try and grasp it, though, a little bit and have a little more appreciation of what's being communicated about God's eternality, uh, the image of something is given to us in the text before the mountains were. Well, think about the mountains. They seem ancient, right? And that's given to us to compare the mountains that seem ancient before us as we gaze upon them. They've always been here generation to generation. So much to discover in the rocks and looking at things. Before them, God. Everlasting to everlasting. And that's meant to make us look from the mountains up unto the Lord, right? Psalm 121, Psalm 123. I lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord that made heaven and earth. And then Psalm 123. I lift up my eyes unto the Lord in heaven. Feed over the earth. But they're there to point us to the Lord in their sense of being ancient. We had that blessing driving through Colorado and Utah, a little bit of Arizona, and um, on our way to Presbyterian back this week. And I've shared with you photos on uh, Facebook through the church Facebook page. And I wanted to send you an e-devotion, but we were pretty busy backed up after this long trip with pictures. But uh, there is no rock like our God, right? God, uh, as we'll study tonight, related to the fact that he's unchangeable, it'll tell us also he's a rock. Often spoke, he cannot be moved. He can be trusted at all times and eternally so as we see what looks to be so ancient as nothing before God that's the illustration being given to us by comparison just to try to put your brain around it a little more Deuteronomy 33 15 thus speaks of the ancient mountains and the lasting hills 
It seems like those mountains have been there forever to each of our generations. And they are, in effect, ancient, but in actuality, they are not eternal. And that's what the psalmist is trying to impress us with. Those mountains, and we have the blessing of being able to look at the hills and then go up into the higher mountains. Those things that seem ancient, you can drive upon, you have this sense of ancientness. They're nothing <laughs> compared to God. Think thus how he is the ancient of days, the scripture says. He is eternal from everlasting to everlasting. Due to the way that the mountains impress us with an austere of age, they are used to pay care, compare to God and appreciate his agelessness. Who is from everlasting to everlasting. Again, we're studying the eternality of God today. The Hebrew word for everlasting is olam. And we've studied that uh, many times, especially in the Psalm 136 that I did for my Hebrew paper. And so you got a really long sermon about it. But what did we hear in every verse? His mercy endureth for olam. The olam. For eternity. God is eternal. From everlasting to everlasting, he is eternal. He is olam. Eric C. Rust explains what this word olam means. It carries the sense, he says, of permanence. It indicates an unchangeable condition. And that'll be lovely to think about related to this evening, that God is unchangeable. Olam or eternity as well, he says, carries with it the sense of what endures through the ages of generations. History consists of the generations, each defined in a specific way, but olam is that which lasts through them. Eternity is thus like the whole that is greater than its parts. And he concludes saying this, there is a permanence in God which persists beyond, or excuse me, behind. There is a permanence in God which persists behind the changes of our temporal existence. And we're to marvel in this and we're to take comfort in this. And we're to worship God. He is ancient. He is the ancient of days. But most gloriously more, God is ageless. The Lord is an ever perpetual present reality in every moment of human time. He always has been. He always will be. He always is. He is timelessness outside of time, but containing time within his vast unknown. You could translate the phrase, God is from forever as far as forever. I like alliteration. That kind of helps me. God is from forever as far as forever. It's another way of thinking about it to be impressed and take it in a little more. And here it says, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And the Hebrew word is simply El. Sometimes it's Elohim, right? 
many different names for God we study, but in this case it's El, which means in particular strength, which is why we've loved to kind of get into a habit of finding a middle name from the scriptures for most of our children that has El in it, strength. You see, God is from everlasting to everlasting strength. He never runs out of energy over time because he is beyond time. And El Shaddai everywhere is present, energizing all, all of the time. God doesn't look ahead. He is ahead. And he doesn't look behind. He's already there right now, and he's right here right now all at once. He's in the past, he's in the present, he's in the future as far as we can understand it, all at the same time, all at once. It is not experienced by him as past, present. It's all now or future. That, that's God. He is the source of all other existence, but he is self-existing from eternity with no beginning, and he didn't create himself. He has, as we know, the word is saity, self-existence. He didn't even create himself. He always is. What is his name revealed to Moses? I am. He is I am. Time is a created thing and it'll have its end. But God is outside of time, yet he is imminent in every moment of it. He's outside of time. The word imminent children means he's right there immediately present in all of it. He doesn't think ahead or remember the past. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And that includes Jesus Christ. As the second person of the Trinity, in John chapter 8, we read in verses 56 to 58, Jesus said to those not believing in him as God, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, thou art not yet 50 years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. So even God incarnate all through the Gospels offers from within himself eternal life because he is eternal life, because he is from everlasting to everlasting God. So the Nicene Creed speaks of the second person of the Trinity, as eternally begotten, not made. For us, there is no end. We are immortal. You know, we die and we'll either be in heaven or hell forever. But we didn't always exist. You see the difference? We had a beginning. We had a beginning. God, he always is him. Eternity, he has no beginning. But he births all life. In our text, the word formed could be translated travail or writhe. It has the idea of laboring and birthing. God births forth all these things, but he already existed. Nobody birthed him. One commentary points out that both the words brought forth and formed in the Hebrew express the idea of production by birth. These things have their beginning from God who has already been, you see. And, and we can't fully communicate this. They're helpful, but they don't fully get at it because God, unlike others, never had a beginning. But the idea that he was there when the mountains were birthed. He's always been there. He always will be. 
Just like we tell our children about a time before they existed that we were yet living life. And sometimes they're like, what? Oh, yeah, well, you weren't in Pittsburgh when, you know, or yeah, well, we were doing this, but you weren't there yet. What? And it kind of does get you like, it's kind of weird. I didn't exist yet. But but you did. Mom and dad, maybe some. You already were there. I didn't even exist, but you were there. And that's the idea with God. Before we were there, he was eternally there. And this eternity overlaps time and revolves around it on the other side. God is greatly beyond, and yet he's always immediately there in every moment of our time. And we must be born again. Remember, Jesus says you must be born again. And the Greek means from above. Anatheo. We must be born from above. We have to have eternal life through Jesus Christ, who is the great I am. Now, this is also the encouragement that we can have eternal life through the great I am, Jesus Christ. Only through him, but we can have it. And this is the encouragement for the writer of the psalm. It's unique. Did you notice the title? Look at the title with me. It isn't David. It's not the sons of Asaph. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. This is that one psalm, I believe, that is written by Moses. Now think about that. This would be a blessing for Moses. One can't help but wonder when he wrote it. Because he had his end outside the promised land. After all those years of ministry, he died outside the promised land. But because of God, who is eternal, we see him existing still in heaven at the Mount of Transfiguration and talking with Jesus Christ about what he was about to do in securing everlasting life for his people. With the assurance of enjoying it forever in Christ. So you can imagine how this psalm would be meaningful for Moses. You are from everlasting to everlasting as he looks over from the mountain, the distance over the promised land, doesn't get to go in, yet he has the hope of eternity, making it all worth it. So the New Testament records what Christ gives to everyone who believes in him, eternal life. Acts 13, 48, even for the Gentiles. Romans 5, 21. Romans 6, 23, instead of death. Eternal death. And of course, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And this is because Jesus was sent from heaven by God as the eternal source. Christ can give life without ending in heaven because he has it in himself without beginning. We're going to let Hervin Bovink help us now, uh, the, the well-known Dutch Reformed uh, theologian. You'll, you've heard from him. You will again. You will today. Help, help us think a little more about this eternality of God and let it, let it just make us marvel and wonder over him. Bavink writes this, Scripture represents eternity as duration without beginning and end. Eternity excludes beginning and succession. Eternity is imminent in time. You see, the Trinity is independent of and the beginning of time, which will have its end on the last great day, as Christians then enjoy an eternal day. Bavik again says this, 
Though God is often represented as imminent in time, he is nevertheless transcendent above time. He is the first and the last, Isaiah 41.4, Revelation 1.8. He existed before the world, Genesis 1 verse 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1 verse 1, right? In the beginning, reflecting Genesis 1, speaking of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. Everything was made through Him. John 17, verse 5 and 24. He goes on to say, And regardless of all change, He remains forever. Psalm 102, 26 and 27, which you'll sing this evening, thinking about that God is unchangeable. He is God from everlasting to everlasting. Psalm 90, verse 2, which we're looking at now, and Psalm 93, verse 2. The number of his years is unsearchable, Job 36, 26. A thousand years in his sight are but as yesterday. Psalm 90, verse 4, within our text. 2 Peter 3, verse 8, quoting it. He is God eternally. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Romans 16, verse 26. He inhabits eternity. Isaiah 57, verse 15. He is living forever. Deuteronomy 32, 40. Revelation 10, 6 and 15, 7. He is God living and abiding. 1 Peter 1, 23. He is immortal. 1 Timothy 6.16 Who is and who was and who is to come. Exodus 3.14 Revelation 1 verses 4 and 8 To be sure, he writes, in all these passages, Scripture speaks of God in anthropomorphic fashion and of eternity in the forms of time, but it nevertheless clearly indicates that God transcends time and he cannot be measured by means of the measure or time. So put away your watches, throw away your calendars, but open your history book because it's his story and he is eternal. Bavin goes on to say this, the concept of eternity has three characteristics, namely that it excludes beginnings, end, and also succession of moments. You see, God is unbegotten, incorruptible, but also immutable, unchangeable. And those last two words are what we'll study that relates this evening. He doesn't go through time. He doesn't experience time. He's above it. He's within it. But he doesn't experience waiting. Not really. He doesn't experience that's now past. This is future. He is everywhere all the time. Similarly, Matthew Henry writes this. An eternal God whose existence has neither its commencement nor its period with time nor is measured by the successions and revolutions of it, but who art the same yesterday, today, and forever, without beginning of days or end of life or change of time. That's him commenting on our verse today, Psalm 90, verse 2. 
Back to Bavink. The essence of time is not that it is without beginning or end, but that it contains a succession of moments. That's the main thing of time, a succession of moments, that it is past, present, or future. Time is the measure of creaturely existence. Remember, time itself is a created thing. Hence, in God, there is no time. He is what he is from eternity to eternity. See, beloved, thus God shares his name with Moses as, again, what? I am that I am. And the Hebrew verb for the word I am, when God says, tell them my name is I am, it simply means to be, to exist. I am, that's my name. God is eternal being. So the shorter catechism number four, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And let's think about eternal. God is eternal in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. All those things God is infinitely gloriously, infinitely, and all those things. God is gloriously, eternally, all those things, as only he is or ever will be. Infinite, eternal, in his being, especially he is, I am. Bavink says this, he is the eternal I am. John eight fifty eight. he references of Christ that we looked at. Hence, God's eternity should rather be conceived of as an eternal present, without past or future that it is as it is for him God does not need a watch he watches over us in time he is never early or late but at each and every moment and outside all of them he does not experience he makes our experiences. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Bavink also says, time began with the creature. We have an analogy of God's eternity in the abundant and exuberant life of the cheerful laborer who never even considers time and whose days and hours speed by. He's like that person immersed in his work and is never worried about time. It's like, you know, we say, wow, time sure went fast. It didn't go any more fast. We just weren't thinking or aware of it. God doesn't need to think or be aware of it. He is eternal. But it's like that. He's just presently always doing everything all the time at once. He is never rash. He always is reality. Bavink says this, in every second, the pulsation of his eternity is felt. With his eternity, he fills time. He never becomes subject to time, measure, number. He remains eternal and inhabits eternity. But he uses time as a means for the manifestation of his eternal thoughts and excellencies. He makes time subservient to eternity and therefore proves himself to be the king of ages. 1 Timothy 1.17 so speaks Psalm 145, verse 13. Thy kingdom 
is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generation. And this is what is typified and spoken to in Daniel, as spoken of and described by Jesus in Exodus 15, 18, Revelation 11, 15, and thus of him in heaven shall you speak about it as yourselves in Revelation 22, 5. He shall reign forever and ever. Unlike all the kingdoms of this world, for a time like the mountains seem ancient and as if they will never end, Christ crushes them. And he reigns forever and ever and his kingdom never fails. Further in our text, look at verse 4, Psalm 90 verse 4. For as a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Now that's quoted in 2 Peter 3, verse 8. And, and too many people use these verses to try to justify an old earth and try to justify the idea. Often with evolution, some will try to pretend, I think lying to themselves perhaps, that it isn't about evolution. But this idea of ages and ages... It's not speaking of that. It's just making a comparison. Time for us is like nothing to God. You know, we look back on old pictures. We were at the Bass Pro yesterday looking at these old black and white pictures of these people catching fish that I want nothing to do with unless they're cut up on my plate. Frightening and huge. 1930s seems ancient to us, right? Long and gone. For God, that was like a couple seconds ago. And even to say that is an exaggeration and can't really say it, but you get the idea. A thousand days is like yesterday for him. Something that happened thousands of years ago, that's like right now for God. He is eternal. He's outside of it. Now contrast that with verses 5 through 10, and especially verse 10. We've given ourselves to these scriptures many times before. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. This is reality of human life. Because of sin, it doesn't last forever. And as is expressed in the text, it doesn't last very long at all. A thousand years is like a day for the Lord. We maybe make it eighty. Most of us. We marveled over that lady we met, we told you about, uh, praising the Lord, speaking his scriptures with oxygen, who is in her 90s. But why do we marvel? That she's still there. And so the contrast is our life is fleeting and short. Isaiah speaks similarly. So our only hope is to trust in he who is from everlasting to everlasting. God who is eternal and therefore who alone can give in eternal life as he would birth us a second time in Christ from above. Born again. So that our life when it ends actually just goes on forever. And as is spoken of I believe by Thomas Watson, our funeral is the funeral of death for us. Because we go into the greater glory with God and we will have our new bodies and we never ever will taste death again. Where is thy sting? It's no sting. It's over. 
Because we have eternity in Christ, everlasting life. The opposite is everlasting death in hell. But God gives us everlasting life. We need to be mindful of our very short time on this earth. And some of us don't get anywhere close to 80. Some of us don't get close to eight. Some of us don't get close to eight days. Some of us don't get close to eight minutes. I recall a meeting with Pastor Matt from Hope Protestant Reformed Church in the Redlands. We had lunch uh, a month or so ago. We meet up in Temecula. And uh, he said, I, I have to make sure I leave by this time. I have to go meet with this couple who was trying so hard to have a second child. And it took them a long time with many painful losses. And then they, they did finally carry a child to term. But they knew what would happen. The child had difficulties and it didn't make it very long. He says, I had the privilege of the pastor of meeting that child. And I don't recall if it was he or she before that child passed. I don't know that child got eight minutes. Some maybe get eight seconds of breathing and crying before that is it for them. You see the need of the everlasting to everlasting God Almighty. And the glorious blessing of having him in Christ. God's eternity is how we don't cease to exist. Knowing him in Jesus whom he sent gives us eternal life. Through him we have a beginning and no end. Thus, beloved, rejoice and proclaim verse 1 of the text. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. And we can look at one another, wondering when will be each of our time. And we can look at picture of those who were before us. That church where we visited, it wasn't the original church. They were all gone. I visited a church with my mom back uh, near the Delaware River in the mountains of the Poconos. It was this big, beautiful old Dutch Reformed church, and no one was there. It was closed for a long time. It seemed ancient. And there, what looked to be an ancient sanctuary was covered up in high grass until someone mercifully began to mow it. Our dwelling place, what a blessing to be able to say then, is in God. From generation to generation. Whatever is left of us, whatever might be, and in a little while, beloved, there'll be no little iota of anything that would testify that you and I were ever here. Ask most of human history. But God is our dwelling place. And we dwell everlastingly in him. Proclaim and rejoice in verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And verse 17 of the text. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. What a blessing, beloved, to be serving the Lord. We know we reap in tears. We'll, uh, we work in tears. We harvest in tears. We sow. We'll reap in joy. But more than anything, what comforts us, we know we'll reap in heaven if not here. And there'll be an eternal aspect to all we're doing. So establish the work of our hands. We can keep our hands to the plow. Why? Because I don't know. You don't know if we're going to see anything from it here. But in our everlasting God, for our everlasting God, it has an everlasting meaning and purpose. To my life, to your life, to the lives of others he would bring into the church. Because he is from everlasting to everlasting. And all the fleeting of this life, fleetingness of this life can have meaning and purpose forever and ever. Because it's in him who's from him forever, for unto forever. Otherwise, I don't know how anyone gets out of bed in the morning, frankly. Or bothers with any of it. 
But in Christ, there's an eternal purpose that will be because he is eternal. Psalm 41, verse 13. Blessed be the Lord our God of Israel from everlasting and to everlasting. Amen and amen. Beloved, if nothing else, I pray that's what you go away with in your heart today. Blessed be the Lord our God of Israel from everlasting and to everlasting. Amen and amen. That's something you can take with you into eternity. You can take it to your grave. You can take it with your eyes open in eternity. Don't overthink it in the meantime. Just marvel over him from everlasting to everlasting. John Calvin writes this, The object which Moses had in view that we mistake if we measure God by our own understanding... And that we must mount above the earth, yea, even above heaven itself, whenever we think upon him. And if nothing else, beloved, today, let that just affect the way we think about God as we're studying that he is infinitely, eternally, and tonight unchangeably, all of who he is, glorious. Let us remember to think about him that way. As high as we can possibly bring ourselves to imagine. Now, similar to this text, Christ is the logos, the wisdom beckoning you to him in Proverbs 8, 24 to 31. You will be wise to give ears, O kings of the earth and everyone under them, to kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. Trust in him and have eternal life in him. Proverbs 8, 24 to 31. When there were no depths... I was brought forth when there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him as one brought up with him. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of this earth. And my delights were with the sons of men. And I submit to you that last phrase is speaking of angels before the fall, though they are created beings themselves. Uh, just finishing a book by my professor on Job, he points out that when it speaks of uh, Satan approaching the Lord, who is among the sons of men in the beginning of Job, that's clearly speaking of angels. That word can have different senses. Jesus was there before everything. Before the fall, he was there with the angels. That's why at his birth, taking on our humanity, give us his everlasting life, the sky opens and multitudes of angels, hosts of angels, declare his glory be to God and peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's why the angels are there at his resurrection. That's why it is said the, he will come back just as he left, like with the angels and on the clouds. There is a saying, all good things must end. I think it's a, essentially a proverb. We all say, yeah, all things must end. All good things must end, including vacation. 
Not your eternal vacation, although you'd be working and loving every moment of it. Not with God, who is eternally good. Shorter Catechism number four, he is eternal goodness. Never ends. Because his name is the everlasting God. Genesis 21, 33, Isaiah 40, 28, Romans 16, 26. Because his name is the everlasting God, he loves you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31, verse 3. Because his name is the everlasting God, he loves you with an everlasting love. Through Christ's blood of the everlasting covenant. Hebrews 13, verse 20. Thus, beloved... Heed and respond to Jude 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. With a childlike faith, take this all in like children. With wonder, get giddy about it, and zealously worship him. I woke up uh, our day that we were leaving on Friday for a long drive to make it back. And I had the blessing of being able to work on a lot of things in the back seat. And uh, I woke up after an amazing trip. I didn't tell the elders this, but that morning, trying to get out of bed, I was overwhelmed with a sense of anxiety. I had such a weighty feeling upon my shoulders. I felt desperate. And I gave myself to his word and I asked him to help me and I knew he would remove that. But do you know what? I went from this depths of despair. How is it all going to work out in the little time that I will have and the little time I might have left? But as I began to study God and his eternality, and as we'll study this evening that he does not change his immutability, I was like a kid. I don't know if the elders heard me back there, but I was looking out at all these mountains like, <laughs> I was so happy. I was just feeling so great. I went to these heights of rejoicing because of God, because of he is infinitely, eternal, unchangeably him. And that's what I hope you'll have this day. Just be blessed thinking about him as eternal. Be inspired. Be overwhelmed. Be astonished. Such is the kingdom of heaven. Little children just go, wow, I love you, God. Just believe. You will have eternity to slowly pretend to put your brain around this. And your study and excitement will never end. Because God is gloriously eternal. That's the message for you this morning. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the everlasting God. God is gloriously eternal. And you put your hope in that. You put your hope in him and it will not disappoint. He will not disappoint. God is gloriously eternal and we will live with him forever and ever and all our brethren with him now before us and he shall reign forever and ever because God is gloriously eternal. Amen and amen.
Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, we are undone in and of ourselves. We are aware of how short our lives are and how fleeting are the moments that we can never make the most of. And so we rejoice and marvel in you who never run out of time. You are beyond time. You created it. You're within it all and beyond it. You'll end it. But the end of our days in Christ will go on forever in your everlasting kingdom that has no end. We rejoice in you, O God, and the fact that you are gloriously eternal. And we rejoice that you and you alone can and have given us in yourself everlasting life. And this will one day be not only experienced in the intermediate state, but face to face with our new spiritual bodies in the revived and refreshed heaven and earth, in the city of our God, we being your temple. We praise you and ask that you just move us like children to rejoice about our Abba, Father, Daddy, and tell everybody about how great he is. And the life that is so gloriously lasting forever in him. And that you would draw others to wonder in you and savingly so. And praise you for it with us. Until it is our time to go. And forever. At the time that you will raise us from the dead. In everlasting worship. We praise in your name. We pray in your name. As you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.